Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The banking industry is in the midst of an exciting revolution, which the power has shifted from the financial institution to the consumer. Consumers are impacting the entire customer journey from the buying process through customer engagement and on to loyalty. At the core of this marketing revolution is the use of data, analytics, technology in the cloud to drive results. One of the most important technologies needed to enable advanced marketing is the cloud. We are fortunate today to have Gary Capers, Division President of Cloud Solutions Deluxe on the Banking Transform podcast. He will discuss some of the major changes in bank marketing today and what must be done to prepare for marketing transformation. As we emerge out of the pandemic, financial marketers have new technologies at their disposal. We have seen a quantum leap in data availability, a collapse of the purchase funnel, and consumer expectations that you will use all the tools to connect in real time with solutions tailored to their life and financial moments. Unfortunately, the surge in data access to new tools has not provided most financial marketers with a substantially better understanding of their customers because most organizations still have outdated skills and strategies. In August, we released a white paper sponsored by Deluxe on the future of digital marketing. We found that rather than using data and analytics to better target customers and tailor messages, many financial marketers continue to be challenged by data silos that make connecting with granularity and speed virtually impossible. At the same time, many marketing budgets have been slashed, challenging marketers to try new strategies. So Gary, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at, at Deluxe and what your background is? Sure. Uh, within Deluxe, I'm the division president for Cloud Solutions. So that's actually a pretty bro uh, broad set of capabilities. I've got everything in my portfolio from uh, marketing and data solutions, where we help enterprises and financial institutions identify consumers and small businesses uh, that they want to extend relationships with. I have uh, web hosting solutions that target small businesses and those technology providers that serve small businesses, just helping if you will, small businesses establish an online presence to interact and transact with customers. And then I have a, SaaS, a set of SaaS-based solutions that serve the small business segment uh, that help with incorporation, designing logos, all the things you need to start up, uh, as well as then a set of solutions targeting uh, small banks, credit unions, and community banks. And what we're doing there is helping the uh, operators really with a set of tools to manage interest rate risk, uh, asset liability ratios, but the things that are really critical to make sure that they stay in compliance, but also understand where and how they make money across their different product sets. You, you have a lot under your, your whole, you know, the whole pyramid of things you have going on. So, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic to some degree, at least. A lot of organizations have had to adjust and have adjusted pretty well to the crises that the pandemic presented, but now we're heading to 2022. What are some of the marketing trends that you're seeing in the industry, both of the consumer and the small business side as we move into the new year? Sure. I think um, prior to COVID, of course, there was an acceleration of uh, the adoption of, of digital marketing solutions. Um, I, I think that was only accelerated further during COVID. And I'd say while we're not yet completely on the backside of COVID, that's still a major trend. And I'll sort of speak to how it's showing up in a couple of ways. Uh, one is, you know, 
thinking about performance-based marketing. So we're, of course, aware of a lot of our customers who ultimately are being asked to substantiate, demonstrate the value being realized from their marketing efforts. The move to digital has made this a bit complex because now with the combination of digital marketing and direct mail and other direct uh, sort of analog or terrestrial ways to market, it's becoming more difficult to understand where you attribute the value. You know, if you have someone that's converting through a digital channel, you know, can you say for sure that it's 100% attributable to the digital spend versus other areas of spend and vice versa? So uh, the need to have much more data to substantiate the uh, value of the marketing, but also a way to attribute the marketing to the right channels is something that um, has been increasing. In addition with COVID, um, of course, you saw a big number of, of individuals who were employees of an organization actually moved to become entrepreneurs. And with that, you know, an onslaught, if you will, in, in small business starts. So we're seeing um, both through institutions that establish relationships with small businesses through the PPP uh, loan program, but as well just with more individuals now who are small business owners and or, you know, gig um, employees where, you know, or workers that are working both, you know, actual, if you will, private sector or public sector jobs, but also doing their own thing. Um, an increase in marketing to small businesses. And with that increase to marketing of small businesses, there's also a desire to do more digital even in that context. And so, you know, one of the things that's becoming true, um, even more true maybe, is marketers are realizing that when you target a small business, at the end of the day, you still have to reach an individual. And so more and more data being sought to figure out who is that small business operator owner and how can you reach her or him in the same way you do as a consumer, but now with a small business, small business marketing message. So seeing a lot, if you will, in the way of COVID that's influencing digital, in the way of targeting both small businesses and realizing that there's still a need for performance-based marketing and the ability to measure the impact of that marketing spend. You know, it's interesting because COVID really sped up everything, but it really put marketing in the crosshairs as, as far as importance in an organization. You know, not only did we have to communicate to consumers about how to use digital channels, but the whole idea of acquisition and cross-selling changed tremendously. In fact, we have found that many organizations have become quite dissatisfied with their new customer acquisition efforts and even their cross-sell effectiveness when accounts are being generated digitally because you don't have that face-to-face -face interaction. You don't have a lot of things that go with what you get to do in person, but that's not going away. So how does Deluxe help clients acquire profitable customers today? So we you know, wholeheartedly believe that digital is very valuable, but we think digital becomes even more valuable when you combine it with other channels, other methods of reaching a consumer. I mean, our thought is when you imagine the idea of an individual um, receiving, say, a direct mail offer and then can follow it up where they pull out their you know, laptop or mobile phone and in an email see an offer that's being repeated there that they saw in the mail or you know, possibly going into, um, maybe it's the bad thing to say now, but Facebook or other types of social media and seeing a message there. We think that's actually reinforcing, it's compounding, and it's also demonstrating the ability for that brand to say to that, that end user, consumer and or small business, that we have multiple ways of, of serving you, of engaging with you, and therefore can make sure that the ongoing offer, the ongoing experience can be aligned with that. So 
you know, we, we realize, again, that there are challenges in using one method only and actually believe that to make the marketing most effective and to make it impactful and to deliver the return, which is ultimately measured in being able to reach that end target, that end user, and then engage him or her in ongoing, if you will, dialogue that allows them to better understand the brand, the product, and then to pursue that from an acquisition perspective. Those are the things that we ultimately are pursuing and trying to get our customers to realize the value in. And fortunately, we have the ability to do you know, those things from an end-to-end perspective, everything from the, the strategy development through the actual execution of those campaigns. Well, it's interesting because one of the major benefits of digital is is the speed of digital. I mean, you you have a lot of action triggers that you can develop with a brand new customer or a person you're trying to get as a new customer. And, and you know, I know there's a lot of tools you provide at Deluxe that can allow a customer, for instance, or a financial institution to reach out to people that are looking for a new car that have maybe just opened a new account. And there's so many different data sources that can now be combined for effective digital marketing that not only do you have the speed, but digital really provides you the ability to combine so many different data sources so that you can really pick and choose who to contact, when to contact, and to do it at a scale in such a way. But, you know, one of the obstacles in effective marketing that we found in the report we did with Deluxe was that it continues to be challenged. The financial institution marketer continues to be challenged by the use of data analytics. Why do you think marketers struggle so much with implementing really good data strategies? So the, the key with, 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 with data, of course, is how can you ultimately acquire as much information as possible about the target without necessarily introducing friction? Um, There's also then the balance of this when you're a marketer thinking about what are the most sort of effective tools to use, but also the reality that you have to think about a budget and therefore do it it efficiently. What we see um, as as sort of a challenge with that with, with marketers is typically then they are reliant upon you know, a source or a very narrow set of sources of data. Um, what that means is then they are relying upon the accuracy, the freshness, uh, the cadence, if you will, of how those data are being updated to identify those prospects out in the marketplace. What we really pride ourselves on, and, and I really do say this uh, in, in sort of a tongue-in-cheek fashion, I describe Deluxe as sort of the biggest um, data company that, that no one's aware of. And where we are really excelling is going out and not just finding a source of data that provides insights, but finding multiple sources of data. What that allows us to do is to understand a relative strengths of various providers and sources, or we can take attributes or certain data from one file and actually then complement or supplement another with it. We're able to then look at multiple sources and through those sources, validate records by seeing them occur across multiple sources, giving us a higher level of confidence. And then by using those multiple sources, having a free uh, an update frequency or a cadence that then is not uh, really dependent upon one vendor and how often they update their data, but actually being able to take multiple vendors and update our data based on what we're seeing across each of those various data sources, almost, if you will, putting together a real-time file where we can see signals or changes in one file, one vendor, one source, and then use that to provide value to our customers where they're able to take advantage of that as quickly as possible. So I think marketers have historically relied on a limited set of data. Um, to be honest, to replicate what we've done would take you know a significant amount of time and resources to A, go out and actually understand what are the various sources, but B, then to really harmonize or tune that final product by leveraging the strengths 
of those different sources and honestly being able to sometimes even swap one source out for another. So I think that's been a challenge for marketers, but where we, I think, shine in bringing some of our capabilities to bear that allow our customers to get the best of multiple sources, something often that they're not actually able to do or at least willing to do themselves and to do it in an efficient manner, both from a time and a cost perspective. We're, we're doing a lot of that work for them rather than them requiring you know, their own organizations to do it themselves. Boy, that's a key element. And I talk about a lot with the podcast and some of my writings that third-party solution providers have the ability to use data no matter what ugly form it may be in that your financial institution and to make it work for you and, and get some early wins, some get some substantial wins without the data being perfect internally. And as you mentioned, deluxe supplements files and complements files with other data that you have. But I think a lot of organizations hesitate because they go, gosh, our data is so messed up right now. We can't rely on it. It's not going to be good. But you can work even from a, a narrow data set or an imperfect data set to really drive results, can't you? So you, a, a client could get very quick marketing results from what you can add to their data without them making sure that data is perfect, correct? So they don't have to wait. They don't have to wait. And, and the, the sort of privilege or let's say advantage that a customer has when it thinks about his own data is of course, they're getting it directly from the source. So they know, you know, who is this prospect, if you will, on the other end and or customer that I'm looking to cross sell to. And they at least know, you know, a channel through which that um, customer and or prospect has has responded or would like to engage. What we're able to do then is bring a lot of contextual data. I mean, you mentioned you know the idea of, of triggers and, and what these are essentially signals, if you will, indications of behavior and or need. An example being that someone you know has recently moved or is going to move or a small business that is actually seeking credit, you know, likely to expand or, you know, look for financing for a certain, a certain type of purchase. Uh, you know, whether it's an individual, a household or a small business, these are information that might indicate that someone's in the market or will be in the market, or if it's actually an existing customer, a signal to the current provider or the current financial services institution that look, You've got a customer that's actually indicating a need. You know, this allows you to really interject and say, hey, are you aware that we can extend upon the current you know, relationship we have and allow my bank, my institution, us to provide you with further solutions? And or, you know, just and this is always valuable. It's a catalyst for an engagement with your customer where you, again, get to just deepen your knowledge of what they're doing, what they need, or at least what's on the horizon. So these types of data, when supplementing what an organization has about its own customers and or prospects, just rounds out uh, contextually with information that can further identify where you can penetrate wallet further and gain more share if you're an existing provider with that end user, again, consumer, household, and or small business, or it gives you a leg up on understanding what that prospect is, is in need of. And, and beyond just providing information where you might, again, understand a, a certain behavior, or we provide you with insight on financial capacity, we can also provide you with other information around preference, You know the way that this person and or entity wants to be uh, contacted or interacted or how they want to transact. So you know, there's only, I think, goodness and additional data the accuracy, the freshness, the ability to have confidence that you can act is what ultimately, I think, sort of tips it over the point of just being additional data to actually being very valuable information that can be acted upon. 
So in the context of data analytics and the, the growth of the data sources, you know, we've talked about the importance of cloud technologies on previous Bank and Transform podcast episodes. In the past, many organizations shied away from the cloud, mainly based on security concerns, maybe the cost of implementation or the amount of time of effort it would take to move to the cloud. That has really changed quite a bit in the last few years, hasn't it? I mean, it's changed significantly. Um, you know, I, I worked for a data company um, from roughly 2007 to 2017, and I can only describe to you the drastic change, the the sort of modernized way they began thinking of data and the cloud. I mean, there was all the concern, you know, years ago about the safety and 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 who would have access to the data, and ultimately. A number of these companies have, um, meaning the data providers, the cloud providers, have really invested in in in, um, in 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 the security element, and so much so that I think now it becomes one of those fallacies to think that somehow you know putting customer data in the cloud can't be done when you're actually putting employee data in the cloud when it comes to payroll benefits and other things. So I think you know the cloud solution and the let's say the quality or confidence you can have from a security perspective has increased. I'd say secondarily, you know, the cloud democratizes data. Um, it allows data to be, made, to be made available to users when and how they want to consume it. Um, so when you're an organization and you're thinking about, you know, how you leverage data and provide it to users of your organization, the cloud actually creates a more efficient way to enable use of the data. And then finally, I would say, you know, and this is true for us, you know, data providers have invested as much as, if you will, the data users and cloud technology. And therefore, what it does is it reduces the amount of effort required to, if you will, push data files from one organization, one sort of technology to the other. It, um, meaning use in the cloud, a lot allows for integration into sort of the end user or technology environments that the customer wants. Whether it's thinking about their CRM system and updating their customer records with additional information that might prioritize who's a target or the best target now versus you know later whether it's actually you know providing additional intelligence to your sales organization that you know indicates that you know there's an event that has happened or will or is predicted to happen and therefore providing them with the right if you will catalyst or or event to engage a prospect and or customer I mean the cloud just makes all of that happen I think about it as again increase uh, security has sort of leveled the playing field and made it now not a barrier to consider. And then when you think about the efficiency and the improved productivity from use of the cloud, as well as then the ability now to enable consumption where and how you want to use it. And all of this then also meaning if you're a small customer, as an example, a small FI, you have the ability to use these cloud-based technologies and not have to invest in resources to maintain those, meaning you're able to actually benefit from the updates and all the investments that are really being, in some ways, subsidized by large customers, but now you get the benefit of it. I mean, it just creates an environment where I don't think there's a customer too large or a company too large or too small that should be thinking about cloud. And then moreover, allowing, if you will, your organization, your resources, your, your people to remain on the latest technology without having to invest in it yourself. I think there's goodness to your business model, to your employees and your customers by doing so. You, you mentioned about the fact that it really makes it so that smaller organizations really can keep up with the big organizations now, because not only is it efficient and effective, but it, the cost has gone down significantly. And I think just as importantly, since so many institutions have now gone to the cloud, a lot of these case studies make it so that there's a lot 
faster runway to get to a good cloud environment than there ever used to be because you're not having to redo all the stuff from the start. You're really getting to start maybe halfway down the runway because a lot of the stuff's done for you ahead of time. You can replicate what successes other firms have had. So a little bit of a pivot. Again, there's there's obviously no impact, no argument about the impact of digital as far as how it's changing our personal business lives. There's also no doubt that digital marketing, digital access and communication has never been more important. How does Deluxe help their clients find success with what is in effect a pretty challenging channel? You know, I'll, I'll again go back to the idea that we look at you know digital as a channel, but not, if you will, a channel that supersedes any other and a channel that actually benefits when it is actually used in concert with other channels. Um, we do recognize that you know, being able to track data is, is a challenge and hence why some marketers have struggled with the, the move to digital. But if we can help you by understanding who the offline persona is, we always call it the carbon-based life form or the, or the terrestrial life form, but connect, if you will, Gary Capers at 123 Main Street, you know, someone we confirm, can confirm birth, birth, uh, date of birth and other aspects uh, or attributes to then um, you know, a certain email address and or social handle or mobile ID, it gives greater confidence that you're actually reaching the right person and can actually then expand the scope of the types of, of offers that can be extended where some might be a bit more sensitive and regulated than others. But having this confidence now that you know who is the person, if you will, on the other end of that device or remote transaction or interaction is so critical. Um, it's as well, again, um, important to also think about how you can really use the the, the digital channel as, as, as an experience um, and, and help consumers, end users, um, small businesses recognize that there is you know, the ability to engage through any channel that is desired, but to do so where the brand is being reinforced, is consistent in the way that um, that experience is being authored or delivered uh, digitally versus, um, again, offline, if you will. Those are the things that I think ultimately bring down some of the barriers or maybe resistance to using digital. But I think the key is, and this is what we do so well at, it's got to be done in a way where you look at digital as part of an overall strategy from the initial strategy setting through the actual execution and, and, and measurement, but not think of it as something that's done on the periphery or done standalone. It really needs to be part of an integrated strategy. And I think that's what makes it successful. That's great. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. This show is sponsored by FIS. Have you ever felt frustrated in checking out online or making a payment over the phone? The go-kart team at FIS Impact Lab certainly was, and that's why they created a better payment experience. Go-kart recognizes your email and lets you pay quickly anywhere with no passwords and no long forms. You can pay faster for anything, even things you wouldn't expect like healthcare, professional services, and more. Go-Kart also goes beyond online checkout and allows you to pay easily by email, text, and even with QR codes. If you sell products or services online or in-store, find out how you can use Go-Kart to simplify payments and increase your sales at gocartpay.com slash podcast. FIS, advancing the way the world pays banks and invests. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Gary Capers, Division President of Cloud Solutions at Deluxe. We've been discussing how banks and credit unions must rethink how to leverage data and analytics in the marketing process and the importance of cloud integration for marketing. 
So Gary, we've been discussing the back office components of marketing from data and analytics to AI and cloud integration. Why is first party data becoming increasingly important for marketers? You know, first party data um, are an advantage, right? I mean, they are data that are coming directly from your users, end users, and can essentially be as real time as any other data that you might be able to access. It is as well an indication of how that uh, end user, whether it be a prospect or a customer, um, is really behaving and interacting. You're sort of seeing that firsthand and have the ability to therefore consume it where others can't or don't have the ability. And then to also know that it is very uh, sort of true and reflective, if you will, of your brand, your interaction with that, that end user. What I think is true, though, is, you know, first party data is is great, but but it, it still provides you with only a limited view of that end user being able to supplement that first party data with third party data that have been verified through other sources that give you a, a fuller picture of, you know, how that entity persons, you know, household and or small business interact beyond your product can give you an idea not only to specific opportunities that you might have today around products or services that you might want to offer, but also be indicative or, or give you some insight into things that you may want to develop to also, if you will, take advantage of other things that that user needs and or wants or, or does. So first party data, I think, provides you with a great advantage in that they are unique. They are truly reflective of the user's interaction with your product, service, brand, et cetera. But they are only going to be limited where you want to get as best you can a comprehensive view of that end user for the sake of identifying what additional needs, um, you know, potential offerings might be applicable today, but also using it to gain the insight from a marketing and really a development perspective of what might be some of those future opportunities that you as an organization with an existing relationship with that end user possibly have a leg up on to develop and take advantage of, if you will, a broader and deeper relationship that is not only valuable for you from a monetary perspective, but again, continues to create that first party data that creates more of those insights that you can continue to use to just broaden and deepen that relationship on an ongoing basis. So you work with organizations of all sides, from the smallest financial institution to the largest financial institution. Can you share a couple of success stories that your clients are experiencing with your solutions and for the application of both first and third party data, multiple channels? Do you have a couple of success stories that you could share possibly? Sure. Um, I'd use a, a pretty interesting example, at least I, I find it interesting. Um, you know, a lot of the solutions we have within Deluxe were you know, develop primarily with the financial services market in mind, retail banks, monoline lenders, those types of organizations. But we've been able to, to appreciate that a lot of the insights actually have a secondary use or at least can provide additional context or, or ideas as to other solutions or products that might be applicable. We have um, an example with a fairly large uh, mortgage lender. And for this lender, we've been providing uh, historically housing data, which, you know, is not all that unique in itself, but, you know, we're able to help them understand, you know, who are homeowners, you know, the types of loans they have, et cetera. But one of the fairly interesting insights that we have from that is we can also identify homeowners that have multiple properties. So for this particular lender, they're not a monoline lender. They're actually a full service bank and they have other product lines, including wealth management. So we're able to take a solution that they have historically used in the mortgage space homeowners data and actually reframe the homeowners data to identify persons who have multiple properties 
understand individuals that have low loan to value uh, ratios. And with that, identify persons that they may want to pursue from their wealth management or investment banking side. So again, it's taking existing data, taking really an insight that has been used in a very narrow sense, and now widening it to actually enable this, you know, use in another area of their business where they can actually target customers that they have a relationship with today, but don't have this additional insight and sell additional products to. We are as well, you know, using digital, again, as a way to complement um, our, our, our business. And where we have, as an example, a product that is um, a predictor of persons who are going to move, we're now able not only to use that and, again, identify them uh, for direct mail campaigns, but now we're able to actually indicate to our customers that this is someone who is going to likely transact in the next 30 to 60 days. And wouldn't it be great to start planting a seed digitally that there are offers that you have that can help this person as they're thinking about this next move, if you will, both literally and figuratively in their lives, but do so in a way where we can follow up with a direct mail, which naturally is going to take a little bit longer, but kind of, again, provide that reinforcing message that, hey, as you're thinking about this, we have an offer. I've just seen that in my email. I go out to the mail in a couple of weeks and I've got a firm offer there to help me with this move and ultimately going down a path of you know really solidifying you know, my provider, the existing relationship and or new relationship as something that this person should be considering as they are likely to make this decision. So we're trying to do everything from, again, using our data in different ways to provide new insights, to help identify prospects and or customers for new product offerings, cross-sell, et cetera, but also use digital as a way where you can get your message out to someone that may soon be in the market, but in a way where you can reinforce that through multiple channels and hopefully be top of mind when it's you know, time to select a, a provider for the actual decision that's going to be made. You know, it's interesting. We've been working with Deluxe for a number of years now on, on the marketing reports that we've done for the digital bank report. And it's very interesting because I know from my experience, there's not a lot of organizations that really understand the depth of marketing capabilities that Deluxe has and the way you work on behalf of your clients. And I, this is something I keep on bringing up with my podcast listeners that now more than ever, you want to partner with organizations that can help you get that early win and, and take the ball down the field on your behalf to to make successes happen. And you just brought up a couple of examples, and I know there's a lot more examples of life event marketing that you can talk about and, and the way you can engage with a consumer. And I think what we really forget is that organization, this is why you want to use third-party providers. These third-party providers have, over time, built all kinds of case studies that they know these are home runs. And if any of the companies, people went from, let's say, a solution provider to a financial institution, they'd say, these are the five things I'd go immediately and do to make myself a hero. And so as listeners, you know, think about this, you know, be it deluxe on the marketing side or any of the other solution providers we talk about, remember that they can hit the road running and can make great use of data and analytics to provide you solutions that can make an impact immediately. And speed right now is more important than ever. You know, I know one area that, that Deluxe really focuses a lot on are life events. Why are life events so important to the whole engagement process, more than transactions and growth of business, growth of accounts or, or balances? Why are life events so important when it comes to actually engaging with a consumer? Yeah, you know what? I, I think when, when, I, when I think about life events, right, um, I kind of think about it as, you know, how many of us are at the dinner table on a given night and get a call from a telemarketer or, or, you know, see a text pop through 
and it's completely out of the blue, not relevant, and or is even the wrong information, meaning, you know, in my case, I have, I have two older daughters, you know, maybe someone's talking to me about uh, something that's, that's you know, you know, pertinent to a, to a, to a toddler. And, and, and it shows me that they know nothing about me. And, and therefore, they've really destroyed the opportunity to establish a relationship. I think the life events provides really the entree to engage someone and engage someone when their mind frame or mindset is most appropriate for the offer that you're looking to, to provide. It also then, again, demonstrates that you've got some information, some level of intimacy, at least as far as knowledge is concerned, which you know, says to me anyway that you are relevant and that you're demonstrating someone who will you know, at least meet me halfway, meaning I've got the need and then you're coming forward with the right solution. I think being able to demonstrate that you have that information is, is so powerful. But I think the other thing is, when we think about engagement, I think at the same time, we have to think about the experience. The, the engagement is essentially the, almost like the opportunity, if you will, that's afforded to the provider to reach out and to, again, establish you know, an interaction or transaction with that end user. But experience is probably equally, if not more important, because then as that target who's being, uh, if you will, engaged, I actually can reflect upon how that aligned or was misaligned with my expectations and or desired approach. So the, the life events, I think, give you a great opportunity as a provider for engagement, uh, one which is contextually, if you will, appropriate. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to be well aware and really tune, attuned to the idea of what's the experience and having the necessary information beyond just the event to know who that end target is and to make sure then the approach that's being used is one that is positive and allows you, if you will, for the continued engagement given the need of that, that, that end user, that target. So I'd say, you know, it's a bit of both. It's the idea that the life events enable an engagement opportunity, but we need more data to make sure that that experience is the appropriate experience to take advantage of that door that has been opened with, if you will, the ability to demonstrate to that end user that we are knowledgeable enough to make sure that the way we're interacting and what we're offering is, is most appropriate. You, you know, it's interesting, you know, the pandemic really made consumers aware of how data can be used to make their lives easier. They also became very aware of how much data every organization has to be able to understand them, to reward them and to really life help them down that journey wherever it may be, and in this case, financial wellness. And, and, you know, it also dramatically impacted the awareness and expectations of consumers around um, things such as social awareness, sustainability, and a sense of community. How important have you seen, and this is a little bit off-brand, a little bit from the standpoint of direct marketing, but with you talking about communications, how important is purpose, ethics, diversity, and brand in the equation around not only communication, but engagement and, and, and loyalty? No, that's a great question. I can tell you um, it would have been maybe not quite a year ago we were having the same discussion um, here at Deluxe and really thinking about, you know, without necessarily naming a certain brand, how there were certain big brands out there who were being, um, let's say, accused of really preying on small businesses and also then consumers by you know having somewhat of a, a monopoly or at least a big presence in the way that we interact in or transact. But point of that being like these brands were sort of being um, being uh, 
perceived um, or even portrayed, if you will, as being uncaring, uh, not only to, if you will, the environment through some of the business practices they might have, but specifically also then to communities, realizing that communities are really an aggregation of, of small businesses. I think, you know, the idea of brand and social responsibility, I mean, the entire sort of ESG, but if we want to even extend it beyond that, as we start thinking about, you know, DE&I, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, like all of these now are, are very relevant. I mean, I, you know, I consider myself, you know, someone who's been around for a while and, and a veteran of, of sort of the corporate environment. But what I also have to start appreciating is, you know, I've got two daughters who I would never really think as persons who are sort of very shortly behind me when it comes to, you know, playing, if you will, in a commercial world. But the reality is they are, and I can confirm it by my bank account, they're big time consumers, but they have a certain expectation regarding the experience they have with um, companies with whom they do business, but also what those companies stand for. So I do think, you know, again, maybe tying it back to marketing, I think marketing has to play a role in reinforcing that message of communicating what a company stands for, of demonstrating that there are more, if you will, values than just shareholder return. But also through that, you know, how do you communicate the different initiatives you have that impact your employees, your customers, the environment, and all of those being very relevant now and increasingly so with the younger consumers that are entering the market, but how they expect to you know, interact with brands. And I don't think it's just going to be true for their personal lives. I think it's also going to have an imprint on how they think about partnerships and relationships in their commercial lives, including as small business owners, but I'd even say equally as employees. So the marketing is important, I think, for really creating, if you will, or, or I shouldn't say creating, but really um, codifying and, and reinforcing and reiterating, promoting um, the voice of the organization, all the things that it stands for and it considers to be very, very relevant and powerful, not only in their commercial efforts, but how they, again, are perceived and interact with the world around them. And I can only imagine that if my two you know, teenagers are indicative of where you know the, the public generally is going to go, it's going to be something that we have to address sooner rather than later. Well, it's interesting because you really have a consumer base now more than ever that that can really see through the the facade and seeing if an organization's walking the walk as well as talking the talk. You know, financial institutions can say a lot of things for their shareholders, but the reality is people are going to be held accountable. And this can be an interesting time to see in the future, certainly in the next year or so, to see what organizations have stepped up and what the impact has been. Because it's good business, too. It's not just, you know, it's, it's purpose and profits that are going to be impacted positively. So finally, to wrap up our conversation, can you share any new innovations Deluxe is working on? I know I know that you guys, if nothing else, never stand still. So what are you working on right now for marketers? You know, I mentioned earlier um, you know, I consider us the largest sort of data organization that no one's aware of, but we're always looking at, at new data. Uh, we're always looking at new data to supplement the data sources we have today and say, is there a better source out there, one that's more accurate, that gives you know, more frequent updates, all the things that ultimately generate value for the users of our solutions today. But we're also then always asking, are there additional data out there? Uh, for us, you know, with heavy emphasis on those things that you know, demonstrate or, or provide a greater picture, deeper picture of financial capacity for, again, persons, households, and small businesses. But in the same way, 
looking for more of those life events, more of those triggers, more of those behavioral data sources that might indicate that someone's in the market or will be in the market for a certain offering based on you know a need that may have been identified, may have been demonstrated, or simply is something that we have a high uh, probability of, of, of predicting. So those things are, are always true for us. Um, we're always then looking to say, how do we become more intimate in our customers' marketing efforts? So you know, we do everything, and I described it earlier, from literally the strategy where we understand who are you targeting, what have you done in the past, what are the things that you've used, you know, to actually working with our customers to create the creative, whether it be digital or offline, to actually executing the campaigns and then measuring the results. So we're doing much more of that now where it's truly omni-channel. And again, that's our hallmark where we don't really think about it as direct mail versus, uh, say, digital, but instead think about it as what are the best ways to optimize the channels available and to really target the end users in the way that they've indicated a preference for, again, currently residing within the information that we have, individuals and or small businesses. So those are a lot of the things. How do we gain more intelligence and how do we continue to just enrich the ability to help our customers reach persons and and persons, again, could be the small business as well, but in a way that's going to be most effective, that is the most reinforcing, that capitalizes on, you know, the preferences of those, those, those end targets. And hopefully continuing to demonstrate that again, you know, direct mail is is something that is decreasing in, in usage, but not effectiveness. And digital is something that's increasing in usage and there are questions around the effectiveness. We think we can help our customers optimize both. Gary, thank you for your time today. You know, as we get into the, the planning, we're getting out of the planning phase, but into the implementation phase for 2022, you know, marketers really have to look at the opportunities they have and how do you do more than simply put the last year's plan to this coming year and actually do things new and search out those partners that can help you be a hero because, you know, we're in the spotlight more than ever as marketers. I'm a marketer by trade in bank marketing. And, you know, we always look for those those quick wins, those wins that can really make a difference for our organization and honestly, honestly for ourselves as well. Because we, we're not, again, self-promotion when it comes down to. But I think, you know, finding a partner that can actually help you down that path that has already found programs that don't work, but more importantly, those that do really can help out a lot. So, Gary, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed. Rate is a top five banking podcast. I generally appreciate the support you have provided since we started this endeavor. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to follow Banking Transformed on your favorite podcast app. In addition, take some time to show some love in a form of a review. It really means the most to us because it gives us the opportunity to see what we're doing right or maybe doing wrong. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the amazing research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, change is inevitable, and those who look only to the past or the present will certainly miss the future. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.